the world has come to a standstill. Schools are shut down, businesses have closed, travel is slowed to a crawl, the economy is tanking, and even churches have been forced to close their doors. Apart from the very real health concerns surrounding the coronavirus, the unexpected pause in our daily routines may also be revealing our society's addiction to busyness and a frantic pace of life. Is it possible that we've become so accustomed to the noise and the busyness of our world that we've grown deaf to God's still small voice? Could a silver lining of this unexpected pause be the opportunity to draw closer to God and experience deeper community? Join us for a special series exploring how God speaks to us in the interruptions of life and how we can use this pause to draw closer to Him. Well, thank you so much for being with us today as we just continue uh, to worship together and as we have this time of worship on this Mother's Day, we say a special word of welcome to all of you mothers who are tuning in. And I know that for many of you, this is the first time you've connected with us at Southside Baptist Church. You're finding us online for the first time, and we're so glad that you have. We're hearing from so many, and we're so thankful that we can be a part of your faith journey during this season of COVID-19. Uh, and listen, if you don't have a church home regularly, we hope you'll continue to make this a habit uh, that you'll join us for worship on campus whenever that day comes. We're looking forward to that day or continue to join us online, but we're just really, really excited to have you with us today. We've been in a series that we've called Pause, and what we have been talking about basically is the reality that the pause button has been pushed. And there are lots of reactions we can have to that, uh, but we're just challenging each other to embrace the pause and to invite God to speak to us during this time of pause. And we started out several weeks ago, and we just pointed out the simple reality that throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus was never in a hurry. In fact, there were many accounts where Jesus would have appeared to have been late. And so we realize that as Jesus has called us to be his followers, we follow an unhurried Savior. And yet the pace of so many of our life is so frantic that I have to ask, are we really following Jesus if we live at such a hurried and frantic pace? And so during this time, as we're following Jesus, and there's been this pause, I believe he's giving us an invitation to stop and to sit at his feet. The, the position to sit at somebody's feet was the position of a student, the position of a student at the feet of his rabbi. As he would gather around, the rabbi would travel from town to town, and as they got there, they would stop, and everybody would gather around. And as Jesus traveled from place to place, Scholars have estimated that in just three years, he walked more than 3,000 miles. But all of that walking was to get to a destination. And every time he arrived at a particular place, he was fully present in that place. And he stopped and he listened and he, he embraced children and he healed people and he taught. And in those moments, that was the opportunity for his disciples to gather around him, to gather at his feet. That was the phrase that was common in his time and in his day you know, what's really interesting is that his disciples, his apostles that we read about in the scripture, we don't really have any account of them gathering at Jesus' feet, although I'm sure they did. Instead, what we have is a picture of Jesus at their feet. In John chapter 13, as he's washing their feet, which would be something that no rabbi, no teacher, no person in authority would do, and yet Jesus humbled himself and served his, his apostles when time and again throughout the scriptures, we don't see them serving him the same way. We don't see them gathered at his feet. But there is one character in the Bible who almost every time we encounter her, she has taken up a position at Jesus' feet. 
And it's not one of his 12 apostles. It's not Peter, James, or John. It's none of the men. It's a woman by the name of Mary. And so this morning, as we are celebrating Mother's Day, and as we're considering this idea of a pause, I want us to see what we can learn from Mary's rhythm of pausing and sitting at the feet of Jesus. In fact, there are three different accounts I want us to look at today. And I've asked my, uh, my daughters to help me by reading those accounts. We're going to look at each one. And as we look at each of these accounts, we're going to look at three things in particular. We're going to look at what motivated Mary to sit at Jesus' feet. What opposition did she face as she sat at Jesus' feet? And then what was the outcome or the result of her sitting at Jesus' feet? So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up with us and open your Bibles at first to Luke uh, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, so what we see here is that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and what has motivated her to sit at Jesus' feet is to learn. She has sat at Jesus' feet to learn from him. That was the common place for a disciple to be. In fact, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, we see that the apostle Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That was his teacher. It was just a common phrase. This was a place where you went to learn. Sitting at a teacher's feet was decidedly a male thing to do. This is not something that women would typically do. And it meant not just that you wanted to learn from this rabbi. It meant, in fact, that you wanted to be a rabbi. So every time Mary falls at the feet of Jesus, what we see is there some, is some opposition to her as she tries to engage with Jesus, as she tries to approach Jesus. And in this particular case, the opposition came from her sister. It came from Martha. And what happened here is Martha just looks at Mary in this position. And it's not just that Martha needs more help in the kitchen. It's that she sees Mary doing something that she doesn't think is socially appropriate, that she's sitting at the feet of the teacher. Listen to what she said in verse 40. Lord, do you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She was motivated to do that because Mary was breaking a social norm. This story is usually taught as a comparison between Mary and Martha's personality or, or the way that they choose to serve Jesus in a different way. That Martha's serving him by, by preparing a meal and Mary's serving him by sitting at his feet. Martha practices an active faith and Mary practices a contemplative faith. And so many times we talk about that like somehow the contemplative faith is better. I, I love what N.T. Wright, the theologian, says about this. He says, without the first, you wouldn't eat. And without the second, you wouldn't pray. It's not that we're pitting serving Jesus by preparing the meal against being at Jesus' feet and praying. There's something else going on here. See, Martha is comparing. She's comparing a gift that she has to a gift that her sister has and saying that her sister ought to be more like her. And Jesus is correcting her and saying, Mary has chosen the better thing. She has chosen to sit at my feet and to learn. And that is the position, that's the posture that Mary, that Mary took with with Jesus. 
Uh, men and women never occupied the same space in this culture in this time. In fact, in many places of the world, that's still true. There were only two exceptions to that rule. One is children playing together outside. Boys and girls would play together. And the other was a husband and wife in the bedroom. Other than that, men and women did not mix. So the fact that Mary broke this social taboo by going into the room where the men were all gathered and sitting at Jesus' feet was pretty remarkable. A statement that she wanted to learn, a statement that she wanted to be discipled, and her opposition coming from her sister was just, Mary, you are doing something inappropriate. Get back in the kitchen where you belong, where we belong. And Jesus said, no, Martha, it's okay. Mary can be here. This is the good thing. You know, this reminds me that that sometimes we have family patterns that we grow up in, things that we're expected to do and that we grow up being expected to do. And many times by sitting at the feet of Jesus, we're challenged at the very core of what we've come to accept to believe is true from our families. For some families, that's just racism. There's been rampant racism in your family from one generation to the next, and it's taught to children as they're young. But sometimes the Holy Spirit gets a hold of somebody's heart as they're reading God's word, and they come to realize that that family pattern is sin. And some, at some point, somebody has to break that pattern, has to break the cycle. And there can be opposition from families in times like this, addictive behavior that's been passed down from one generation to the next. And as we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we learn from him, sometimes we feel the strain against that family cycle, against that family system. That's what Mary was feeling. And look at the outcome of this. The outcome for Mary by sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from Jesus was an eternal reward. Listen to what Jesus said to Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What Mary was learning at the feet of Jesus is something that would never be taken away. The food that Martha was preparing, it was a ministry to everybody in the room, but that food wasn't going to last. Jesus, as he was giving the bread of life, is something that was going to lead to eternal life. Time at Jesus' feet is never wasted. This time during COVID-19, when you've maybe got extra time on your hands, is time that you could spend at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, pressing into him. For many of us, we've said all along, if I just had more time, I'd read my Bible, I'd study my Bible, and now we've got more time, and maybe we're filling it up with all kinds of other things instead. I invite you, just sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. What we learn from him can never be taken away from us, and it can transform us. The second time we see Mary at Jesus' feet is found in John chapter 11, verses 30 through 36. John chapter 11, verses 30 through 36. Now, let me set this up for you. Mary and Martha have a brother whose name is Lazarus. Uh, This was a place that Jesus frequented often in the city of Bethany. When he would come to Bethany, he would stay with them. He would be with them. You see that in this story from Luke chapter 10. Well, Lazarus has become ill. And so Mary and Martha send for Jesus, who is traveling. They say, come back, our brother's sick. And and Jesus doesn't come back right away. In fact, he waits, and Lazarus gets worse and and ultimately dies. And so Jesus makes his way back there, and, and Martha has come out to meet him, and she has gone back and told Mary that Jesus is there. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 30, as Mary makes her way out to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So what's going on in this passage is uh, a traditional funeral experience. There are mourners, the townspeople have gathered around, they're with the family. Uh, This would have taken days and people are there. And Mary, as she is going out to Jesus, uh, the mourners think she's going to the tomb. And so they follow her. They follow her out to where Jesus is. And what has motivated Mary is that she pauses at the feet of Jesus to grieve. She doesn't have any expectation that Jesus is going to raise her brother from the dead. I mean, we read this story and take it for granted. But in that moment, she didn't have any hope of that. She just knew that she had a grief that was very heavy for her to carry. And she took it to the feet of Jesus and she gathered around Jesus. But notice the opposition. It's kind of subtle. But she is surrounded by opposition from her friends and neighbors who want her to accept the hopelessness of the situation. And I can understand that. It's what we all expect. When we think about death, the natural thing is to think that it is the end. And these professional mourners, if you would, as they're there, they're they're grieving on behalf of this family. They're going with Mary and they're almost encouraging her to continue to grieve. I don't know if you've ever seen a funeral from another culture where they wail. Uh, They just wail for, for hours and hours and hours and days after day after day, people gather to wail because of the hopelessness of the situation. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said as he wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He said, grieve. There is a reason to grieve. It's sad. Your heart is broken. They're not denying that. Grieve, but don't do it as people without hope. Don't do it without hope. And I just would say to all of you, as you're considering this, as you're having this extra time, there may be things in your heart, in your life that you're grieving right now. Bringing them to the feet of Jesus is the appropriate place to bring them. You bring them to Jesus and you grieve there. Listen to the outcome of this. Jesus shared Mary's grief with her and then he raised her brother from the dead. But don't miss what he did. He wept. Jesus wept with Mary. And you need to know that Jesus is weeping with you. His heart breaks when our hearts are broken. He is a compassionate and a merciful Savior. You know, as we go through this situation together, I'm, I'm always amazed at the level of fear and terror in our culture. There's a real fear of death as you look around. And, and it is appropriate that we would take measures to protect ourselves and our loved ones. And I certainly don't think we should be careless. But, but there's a level of concern, a level of fear that just speaks to our, our, our insecurity about what happens after death. And we need to understand and hear the words that Jesus, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Grieve, yes, this is hard. And yes, if you've lost loved ones or you're going through hard times, grieve and grieve at Jesus' feet, but also know that Jesus is the resurrection. He is the hope. And this situation, Jesus, after he raised Lazarus from the dead, is what led to the next encounter where we see Mary at Jesus' feet because they threw a huge party in Jesus' honor. And so we see this happen in John chapter 12. Follow along with me as we look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of, the, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charged of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So here's the scene. All these men are gathered in the room again, and Mary slips out at some point. She's unnoticed. She comes back in with this flask, this jar of oil. It probably represented her dowry. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe her feet with her hair. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing encounter. It's an amazing act of worship. It's extravagant. In fact, it was so extravagant that everybody around, I can imagine, just slowly began to be quiet and stare at what was going on as the aroma must have just filled the entire room. And and of course, Mary, as she is experiencing this, she's motivated to pause in order to worship at Jesus' feet. She's worshiping this man who raised her brother from the dead. She's worshiping this man who has changed her life. She's worshiping this man who has experienced and expressed so much love, not just for her and her family, but she's seen it time and time again, and she is motivated to express her love back to him in this extravagant way. And of course, we see in this passage again, she faces opposition Judas and the other disciples wanted Mary to conform to what was socially acceptable. This was too extravagant. This was too over the top. You're, you're giving too much. You're, 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 you're embarrassing yourself in front of all of these people, all of these strangers who gathered to worship, to gathered in this house to celebrate this meal together. You've just gone a little too far. Look at what Judas said. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And of course, Judas didn't care about that. He didn't care about the poor. He was greedy. But I'm also convinced he was overwhelmed by this authentic act of worship knowing himself that he was probably going to betray Jesus. In just just a very short amount of time, he would betray Jesus himself for much less money than what that oil was worth, what she was pouring out in this extravagant act of worship. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament where King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, and he's just overcome with joy and gratitude, and he's glorifying God as he's dancing, and he's stripped his shirt off, and his wife looks down, and she's embarrassed by him. She, she, she actually reviles him because of what's going on. And it just reminds me again that sometimes our extravagant acts of worship inspire people to actually despise us in our acts of worship. But yet those hearts who have been truly transformed, truly touched, those hearts who have been forgiven can't help but to express that love and that act of worship at the feet of Jesus. And that's what Mary did. And look at the outcome. Mary's act of worship became a model for all believers. Thousands of years later, we are still talking about this woman who worshiped at Jesus' feet 
Look at what it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Now, John doesn't tell us this, but Mark and the other gospel writers point this out when they say, and truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What an incredible outcome of an incredible, incredibly extravagant act of worship. Mary paused to learn at Jesus' feet. Mary paused to grieve at Jesus' feet. And Mary paused to worship at Jesus' feet. And every time she did, she faced opposition. She faced opposition from the person who was probably closest to her in the world. She faced opposition from her own sister, her family. She faced opposition from her community, from her neighbors, as she went to Jesus to grieve. And she faced opposition from people who were in authority, Judas and the other apostles, as she extravagantly worshiped at Jesus' feet. She faced opposition. You know, it reminds me of what we're told in Romans chapter 1, verse 2, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to him. This is our true act of worship. This is what Mary was doing. She was offering everything she was, everything she had for Jesus. And she wasn't being conformed to the patterns of the world. She wasn't being conformed to the, to the expectations of her family or the expectations of her neighbors or the expectations even of those people who were in authority, those apostles who were around her. Instead, she was being transformed as her mind was renewed at the feet of Jesus. So let me just ask you, as you are a Jesus follower, if you are, and Jesus, during this time, it seems like, has stopped. Are you pausing at the feet of Jesus, or are you pressing ahead? Are you pausing to learn from Jesus? Are you pausing to share your griefs with Jesus? Are you pausing to worship Jesus? Following an unhurried Savior means that you make frequent stops, and whenever Jesus stops, that is our invitation to wait at Jesus' feet. What is God inviting you to learn during this pause? Have you taken the time to just inventory and ask yourself, God, are you, are you wanting to teach me something during this waiting? Maybe you're waiting to be able to reconnect with family or friends, or maybe you're waiting to find a job, or maybe you're waiting for information from a doctor to be able to get in to see a doctor. I, I don't know what it is, but have you asked yourself, is there something during this pause that Jesus wants you to learn? Sit at his feet and learn. Is there a grief that you've been carrying? Maybe a grief that goes long before COVID-19. And Jesus is inviting you right now, as he is still, as he is waiting on you, to come to his feet, to bring that grief, and know that he grieves with you. The scripture tells us there's nothing that we can endure. There's no hardship. There's no trial we face that Jesus himself hasn't already endured. He's a savior who knows and understands. Bring your griefs, bring your hurts to him. Don't try to medicate them on something else. Don't try to medicate them by, by watching more uh, Netflix or Ben's watching or eating more. Instead, come to Jesus and invite him into those painful places in your heart. And finally, how can you serve him? How can you worship him during this time of waiting? How can you come to the feet of Jesus like Mary came? with an extravagant offer of worship. Maybe that's something as simple as just reaching out to some neighbors 
Maybe it's something as simple as just praying more earnestly for people right now who so desperately need your prayers. Maybe for some, it's giving and supporting. If you've been blessed financially, maybe you can help somebody else who's in need. I don't know what it looks like for you to pour an extravagant offering out at Jesus' feet, but I know right now during this pause, as we look at the example of Mary, we're being invited to learn, to share our grief, and to pour out our worship on on Him. And I hope you will take the time to do that. And for those of you who aren't Jesus' followers, and you find yourself right now in this pause, I want you to know Jesus stands ready for you to come to him as well. He extends his arms to you as well. All who would come, all who are thirsty, all who are hungry, come to me. Find rest, Jesus says, in him. Maybe this pause is creating a lot of anxiety for you. And Jesus says, cast all your anxiety on me and let me care for you. This morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And as we pray, for those of you maybe who have never trusted this Jesus, maybe maybe never have you you placed your confidence and, and hope in him. Maybe today would be the day you would do that. But for others, you follow Jesus, but what you realize is you've rushed so far ahead of him that as he has stopped and waiting and inviting you at his feet, you've run so far past that that you need to backtrack to that Savior who's calling you and inviting you. Now is the opportunity, wherever you are, whenever you are, to hear the invitation of Jesus to come and sit at his feet. Will you pray with me? Father, we um, thank you that Jesus walked at an unhurried pace and that he made frequent stops And Lord, for many of us, we're like the disciples. We hurry from place to place, Father, and we often miss what Jesus says. We miss what Jesus has done. And I'm so grateful for the example of this woman in the scriptures, for Mary, for how intentional the gospel writers to point out that she never seemed to miss an opportunity to to be at the feet of Jesus. She sat at his feet to learn, Lord, Would you help us to be still long enough to sit at his feet and learn? She came, fell at his feet and poured out her pain and her grief and her sorrow. And he wept with her. Father, would you help us to come and fall at Jesus' feet and pour out our brokenness and know that he weeps with us? She came and she fell at Jesus' feet and and an extravagant act of worship. And Lord, we, we want to come to you today and we want to pour out our hearts. We want to pour out our lives, everything that we are for you in an extravagant act of worship, not just one time, but again and again and again and again. Lord, we want our lives to be a living sacrifice poured out to you. Lord, would you receive our act of worship over and over again? And Father, we... We don't want to be conformed to the patterns and expectations of this world. The expectations of family cycles and, and, and Father, family traditions that, that may contradict your word and your direction, your call in our life. Lord, give us the courage when, when we're going against the culture and the society around us that would tell us that we should be panicked and fearful right now when, Father, you are saying, be still and know that I am God. Father, help us to stand up against that pressure of of those who may even be in authority, Lord, that that would try to instill fear in us to prevent us from worshiping you wholeheartedly. Father, may we just pour everything out at your feet. And Lord, for those who have never trusted you, Lord, I pray that today, as they would consider uh, a Savior who 
himself knelt and washed his followers' feet, that they would see in Jesus a humble servant who not only knelt to wash our feet, but ultimately laid down his life that we might have life in him. Lord, there's no better place to be than at the feet of Jesus. So I pray today that we would be found in that place and not just today, but every day. Lord, that we might bring you our blessing. We might bring you our best offering of praise today. For we pray it and we ask it in the powerful and the beautiful and the majestic name of Jesus our Lord.